listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. So self-week, here we are, the last part of our current series. We're getting the I out. It's not the self-E, I-E. It's the self-we, W-E. Why? Because the problem is we make it a me thing instead of a we thing. It becomes about us and what we want and our self-centered lives. Where we've discovered through the course of this message and this series, we began in the right place. And the right place is this, God has to be first. And the principles that we've been teaching are not just for marriage. Every love month in February, we don't just teach to those who are married because we know there are many who are not married, unmarried. So we teach principles that will work in your marriage, in your home, in your family, but they will also work in your finances, in your health, in just every aspect of your life because the Word of God is the package deal. It covers every part of your life. So God first. Every good relationship has to be a God first relationship. Work on that. Remember, while I'm waiting for my two, not my one, because God is my one, while I'm waiting on my two, I'm going to be building a relationship with God. God first. And when us who are married, we're working on our relationship with God while we are a part of our relationship with our two. We talked about the second week being on the winning team. We talked about if one wins in a relationship, both lose. Because many times it becomes about a personal win. Well, as long as I win, it's about my needs. No, we talked about how you fight fair and fight healthy. And I know that sounds really crazy, but you're going to have conflict. There's going to be conflict. And how are you going to fight? If you fight healthy, you're fighting to resolution You're fighting to resolve the conflict, not to get your way, not to inflict pain, not to hold bitterness and grief and envy. So we talked about being on the winning team. Then last week we talked a great message on purity. I believe it was so challenging. I've got many texts back from people and and I've seen Facebook posts of people and said, wow, I wish I'd have heard this message years ago. But you heard it last week and it was just as important that every one of us heard it last week as what maybe years ago, because the principles still apply for us today. We've got to mind the gaps. Has anyone kind of been conscious more of that this week? I know I have. Just the little things, just to mind those gaps, those small things that can so easily slip undetected, but can fester, can build, can cause problems in a relationship. And any amount of poison we discovered last week is too much poison. So we want to eliminate all those things and honor marriage. And we discovered the bed of marriage is to be honored by everyone, not just those who are married, but those who are unmarried too. So therefore, those who are married do the married things. But those who are unmarried are not to do the married 
things. And if you have any questions on those, Miss D, wave at us. There she is. She would love to answer those questions after church. And she can help you and steer you in the right direction. So as we close this series, I want to present to you an incredible truth. I pray you've got your notepads. I pray you've got your cell phones out so you can take notes. Because this is another awesome truth. I believe this is one of the greatest means of blessing that God can use to touch your life, what we're going to discuss today. That your life will never be the same again. That your family, your marriage, your home, your finances, your attitude, everything about you, your health, your well-being, your future, everything of you will never be the same again. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Well, let's go on a journey. In fact, uh, as I was looking through my notes on Thursday, preparing for the message, I was actually turning to the passage that I wanted in the Bible. And when I was turning, I stumbled across another one. And I was like, man, that's just too good to leave out. And I just want to share this scripture with you because I want this to be the thought through your heart, through your mind today, through everything that we discuss today. I want this to be your center thought. And it comes from Matthew 19, verse 26. And it says these words, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible. He was speaking to them about salvation. He was talking about how it's impossible for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. And he was talking about riches and wealth and blessings and how it's hard for people to get into heaven. And the disciples are asking Sam, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men this is impossible. But read on. But he says, but with God, all things are possible. And even though it was in reference to their conversation that day, I believe it's applicable to every one of our lives today. With man, with our lives, with our own way, with trying to do things on our own, all we're going to hit is roadblock after roadblock. We're going to face impossibilities. Now, the enemy gives us enough to think we're getting somewhere. But if we would look, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man. It appears to be right, but the end thereof is death. The enemy gives you enough so you think you're good and there's a cliff, there's a fall, there's disaster that's waiting. Why? Because with man, it's impossible. But with God, I love that, but with God, all things are possible. Man, I wish I had a witness in the house. I'm just going to have to amen myself today. Man's way is impossible. There's an end, there's a limitation, but God says, my way is limitless. Whatever you need, you can believe and I can do it because impossibilities become possible because God says that's my speciality and you've got to understand in your marriage in your finances in your life your home period the enemy doesn't want you to live in the possibilities of God the enemy wants to rob from you and steal from you because he knows the benefits that are available through serving a God who is a God that does the impossible and makes it possible So our scripture actually that we're going to be coming from today, that's just a bonus today. But hold on to that. It's Matthew 14, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, turn. We're going to be reading through 21 of Matthew 14. And it begins like this, when Jesus heard it. What did Jesus hear? It's important to know. Jesus has just heard the news that his friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded and killed. You can imagine the grief, the pain, the anguish that he feels. And the Bible says he departed by there, by a boat, to a deserted place by himself. He wanted some alone time. 
He wanted some time to mourn. He wanted some time just to process this. Because a lot of us just think of him as the God that doesn't have any feelings. But Jesus didn't come as God. He came as a man. He came with the feelings with us, so he feels these things. And I'm glad he feels these things because that's what allows him to have those feelings towards us. But he is down right now. He, he, he's struggling probably with this news. He's disappointed. He's upset. All the flood of emotions that's going through his mind as he wants to be alone and process this and deal with it. But when the multitude heard it, not about John but about Jesus where he was going to a deserted place. It says they followed him on foot from the cities around. Verse 14, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, even in one of his lowest times of his life. What do we see Jesus still doing? Giving. Giving of himself. Being moved with compassion, realizing there's needs that he wants to provide for and help. And Jesus, the Bible says, healed their sick. Verse 15, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages nearby and buy themselves Food. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Let's just recap the scene because I think it's important to lay the proper foundation. Jesus is grieving. He's removed himself to a deserted place, but the multitudes have found him. The Bible says if we would read, and we will later, verse 21, 5,000 men found him besides women and children. So if you think of an average family, a wife and two children, that's over 20,000 People that showed up. People believed this was the biggest crowd that he ever spoke to, past, present, and would future speak to in one time. And now what happens? It's late. He's been ministering to them for hours. He's been teaching them. He's been praying for them. They've been having revival out there in the middle of nowhere. But they haven't had a lunch break. They haven't had a snack break. The people are hungry and the disciples come to Jesus. It's very interesting too that this story is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Very few stories are recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, disciples of Christ, each in their own way, recounting, recalling their stories. Each of them tells the story. And the indication here really is that the disciples were speaking on behalf of the people really for their own needs. Have you ever been in a place where you've said, such and such wants to do this, where they don't want to do it, you want to do it. And you're just using them as an excuse to get your point across. Anyone done that before? And that's almost what the disciples are. The thought really is probably everyone was hungry, but the biggest people with the growling stomachs that day are the disciples themselves. So they're coming to Jesus. I I bet Peter was the spokesman. He was the one that had foot and mouth disease. He was the one that usually spoke out. So they probably pushed him and voted him forward. So can you imagine it? Jesus is preaching to 20,000 people. It's getting late. They're in the middle of everything. And Peter's like, "Um, excuse me, can can I have you? Jesus has to stop what he's doing. He says, hold on, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back in a minute. Turns over to Peter and says, Peter, what's up, man? I'm ministering. What, what, uh, must be important. What's going on? He's like, well, Jesus, here's the deal. Uh, you know, the people are hungry. They're, they're really hungry. You can't hear their stomachs growling. It's not thunder in the distance. That's 20,000 people. They're hungry. It, it, we need to... What, what, 
What are we doing? I mean, come on, Jesus, just send them away. Call it quits. We've had a great day. It's been an awesome day. Wow, did you see that miracle? I know you did because you did it. Man, it was awesome. It was incredible. Wow. And and wow, that teaching. Jesus, I've never heard you speak so good. That was absolutely awesome. But it's late. Come on, let's go. You know what they were expecting that day? They were expecting Jesus to say to them, wow, I didn't realize it was that late. You're right. I mean, the people do need to eat. How far is the closest Piccadilly? Man, yeah, we need to send them quick. It's going to be dark. McDonald's closes at what? Yeah, they need to be going soon. That's what they expected to hear. But what they got from Jesus wasn't what they were prepared for. What they got from Jesus wasn't at all what they expected. Read on, verse 16. Jesus said to them, oh, they don't need to go away. Don't send the people away. Jesus said, you... Give them something to eat. What? I mean, what are you talking about? Notice how Jesus throws it back and says, now what are you going to do? He gives it to them and he says, you give them to eat. Verse 17, and it says, and they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fishes. I don't know how it went down, but they must have gone through the whole 20,000 people, polled the crowd and said, hey, has anyone got any food? And when they went through the crowd, there was only one little boy that had his McDonald's breakfast. He just had five loaves and they weren't big loaves. They were just small little biscuits and he had two little fish. So the disciples are bringing this to Jesus. Notice. And what do they say to him? We only have five loaves and two fish. I wonder what they probably thought Jesus was going to say. I I like to put myself in the stories. When I read stories, I like to put myself in there. I like to imagine that I was there that day. I was one of the disciples. I was the one that was polling the crowd, trying to find food. And we only came up with so little. I'm thinking that they were giving this to Jesus with this thought in mind. Okay, this is definitely not enough. So he's going to have to let the people go. That made sense to me when I was thinking about that. Does that make sense to you? What is so much amongst everyone, there is no way Jesus can do that. So he's going to let them go because there's not enough to meet the need. Can I just interject something here? Tithing doesn't make sense. So is that the end of the story? No, the story is just starting. Because Jesus said to them, bring the little that you have. And bring it to me. For what? Come on, don't act all holy. You know you'd be questioning it too. For what? I mean, you're going to sit there and eat in front of us and make us all hungry? Gee, thanks, Jesus. We deserve some food. We know you've worked hard today, but we've deserved food. Why would we give you that? What is that? Can I remind you again? With man? It's impossible. But with God... All things are possible. In Luke, the account that we would read in the Gospels, the Bible says that Jesus instructs the disciples and he says to them, I want you to divide the people into groups of 50. Seat them 50 in a group. However you want to do it, do it. You just go out there and do it. Can you imagine them saying, for what? Why would we do something like this? I want to tell you now, Dividing the people wasn't for the people's sake. Dividing the people was for the disciples' sake. It's for you. It's for me. 
You may not understand that right now, but let me say it again. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. What was going through their minds? This is stupid. One, two, three, four, five. This is crazy. What? Oh, lost count with that stupid thought. What number were you? Oh, pay attention. I'm going to have to start all over again. One, two. It would divide them. I wonder how long that would have taken to divide 20,000 people into groups of 50. That was a while. And all along they're thinking this is wasted time because by the time we've done all this, the people could have been gone, they could have eaten, it could have been over, we could be in our beds, everything could be done. What's the point? What's the reason? The point and the reason is this. God is preparing them for a miracle. God is preparing your miracle. God wanted them to see the impossibility of the task. So they could be reminded that they need a God of the impossible to be able to be the one that can meet their every need. Verse 19, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, as Luke says again, divided in groups of 50. Jesus took the five loaves and he took the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them. Come on, say that with me. He blessed them. He blessed them. He broke them and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. I want you to see something here. I believe there's a misconception that a lot of people have when it comes to this passage of Scripture. That a lot of people teach and believe that God multiplied the food in His hands. In none of the accounts of the Gospel does it say even close to that. It doesn't say that he multiplied. It doesn't say that the multiplication took place in his hands. But the Bible says it multiplied in the hands of the disciples. Catch this. You've got to see this. This is vital. You've got to see it. It multiplied after they first gave it to God. You see, when we give it to God first, He blesses it. And when He blesses it, 90% blessed goes a whole lot further than 100% that is unblessed. Which doesn't make any mathematical sense, I know. But may I remind you, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things... Are possible. Let me have some help. Can I have some help? Richard, can you come up here? Let me get some more help right now. Um, Sandy, come on up here. Stephen, can you come up here? Hannah and Maddie, can you come up here? Tomorrow, why don't you come up here and help us too? I want you to see something because I want you to grasp all of this today. I, I, I just need your help with this today. Are you ready? Just imagine, and this is even a little bit more than the, what would be in the hands of the disciples of that day. But just picture this. That Jesus has blessed this, he's held it up and he's blessed it, and now he's given it to the disciples. But notice what it is in the disciples' hands. It's still only a little. It hasn't multiplied that now they're like, oh, I can't hold it. It's still just a little. Can you picture this? I'm just imagining myself as Peter. Can you picture this? Because then Jesus says, you want to take that and you start giving it out. 
Can you picture Peter going to the first person in his group of 50 and he's looking at him and saying, just take a little. I mean, come on, let's just be real. I mean, it's still just, look, look at it in their hands. What's happened to it? It's still the same. It's still the same. But as they began to divide it and give it, he's saying, take just a little bit. He's getting down to the last little bit. And he's like, what am I going to do? The last crumb. But all of a sudden, as that person reaches down to take the last crumb, it multiplies in his hands. And he begins to give and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. You see, in their hands, not in the hands of God, but in the hands of the disciples, Jesus caused the multiplication to take place. You can go and eat that on the way. It's a little bit cold now, but that's yours. The miracle, listen to me. And I know I'm laboring on this point, but hear this. The miracle never happened in the master's hands. The miracle happens in our hands. The miracle happens in the disciples' hands. Because if we will first give it to God, God will give it back. And now there won't only just be enough. There'll be more than enough. How do you know? Read the rest of the story. Verse 20. It says, so they all ate. Who? 20 plus thousand people ate five loaves and two fish. And they didn't just eat. They didn't just have this little smallest taste. The Bible says they were filled. Every one of them were filled. And how filled were they? I'm telling you how filled they were. They couldn't even put another piece in their mouth. They were so full. And the Bible says they had 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten, the Bible says, were 5,000 men besides women and children. Wow. Why 12? I believe for this reason. There was 12 disciples. There was 12 people that day that were dividing and passing out the food. I believe there was 12 basketfuls left. Why? Because God wants every one of us to see that he's no respecter of persons. If you will be faithful, he doesn't love one more than the other. He didn't just have eight baskets and four people were left with nothing. Every one of his disciples had something in their hand. Why? Because that's what God wants to do to every one of his children. None of you have to leave today with an empty basket, but you can all live, leave full today. If you haven't figured it out today, we're talking about we tithe. We're talking about tithing. We tithe. The importance of giving to God. This is going to be a life-changing message for you, I'm telling you right now, because it's one of the greatest means of blessings that God has. That he can give back into our lives. So let's look at some truths from the story today. From the word of God today. Point number one. It first has to be blessed. You've got to give it to God first in other words. God has to give it or get it first. Your first fruits. The firstborn. There are other words for tithe. The tithe is literally a tenth. It's a tenth of what we have. It has to be first presented to God. It first has to be given so He can bless it. So many people I've heard say, well, I'm going to pray how much I give God. I get excited when I hear that because that means they must be given over their tithe because God already instructs us what to give. 
God already said it's 10%, that's mine. So when you're praying for what to give, that means you're giving above and beyond. Because there's no question of what God requires or us. He spells it out in His Word. And we're going to end this series right where we started it. And here's the thought. God has to be first. You've got to give it to Him first so He can bless it. Tithing is a test. It's a test. Let me explain that. In the Word of God, there is just over 500 verses about prayer. 500 verses. Pretty important. In the Bible, there are just over 500 verses on faith in the Word of God. But do you know there are more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions in the Word of God? 500 verses seems important to me, but something that's over 2,000, for what reason? Out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them are to do with money and possessions and wealth. Why? Well, from a biblical standpoint, it shows the need that we have to understand money and how we need to use it and what we need to do with it because it's a test from God. It's a test to see if we'll put him first. Something about a test is this. It has to be taken. You have to take a test in order to get the results from the. T- a lot of people want God to bless them, but they don't want to take the test. They don't want to put him to the test. They want to hold on to their sack lunch instead of giving what they have to God. You've got to pass the test. It's a test to see if you're going to put him first and what you do with your money. What you do with your possessions reveals your priorities, your loyalties, and your affections. In fact, it directly dictates many of the blessings you will either receive or will not experience in life. Look at this passage from Exodus 13, verse 2. God says this to the children of Israel, Consecrate. In other words, set apart. Give to me is what he is saying All the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb amongst the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Jump down to verse 12 through 13. That you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the first of man among you, of your sons, you shall redeem. I haven't got time to go into it in great depth, but in the Word of God, we've been reading it through our Bible reading. If you've been reading the Bible with us in a year, Leviticus is tough reading. But what have we seen? That which is clean, that which is unclean. Today, if you read your Bible, you would discover that you can't just give any gift to God. He wants that which is perfect, holy, not the leftovers and the waste and that which is maimed and not whole. He wants the best of these things. But what do we see? We see that which is clean. So what do we see here? We see what is called a sacrifice or redeemed. It has to be sacrificed or redeemed. That which is clean, such as a lamb, could be sacrificed. It could be killed and given. But the illustration that we read here is a donkey that is unclean, so therefore a donkey cannot be sacrificed and offered. It has to be redeemed. A lamb would have to be given in its place. So if it was clean, it could be sacrificed. If it was unclean, it had to be redeemed 
but it had to be first given to God. The Bible is also the same when it comes to our first fruit. Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. What an incredible passage right there. Exodus 23:19 don't have it on the screen but it says the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. God is very clear saying to us that first it has to be given to him. Whether it's the firstborn, the first fruits or the tithe all symbolic of the same thing it has to first be given to God and listen with the promise of no return. Now you may say, well, that's not really right because God says, I will bless. Yes, he says that, but he doesn't say specifically what you give. I'm going to bless that specifically in that way. What do I mean by that? Jesus didn't say, wait till your sheep had three lambs and then the fourth you give it to me. Jesus said, give me the first and maybe your sheep dies given birth to that or it may never have another sheep anymore. You are still to give that to me. Why? Because we've got to trust Him to redeem the rest. It's a test. Will we give it to God? That takes great faith. I said that takes great faith to do that. What if God doesn't? What if He doesn't come through? What if I never get that promotion? What if I don't do that? Can I remind you today with man? It's impossible. But with God, all Things are possible. Many Christians never enter into the fullest blessings of God because they don't take the test of tithing. They don't have the faith to trust God with their life. And that's why few experience the greatest blessings that God wants to give into their lives. Listen to me. The multiplication in our hands. Didn't multiply in His. He blessed it. As we first gave it. And now God causes it to multiply in our hands. It means we've got to first give it to God. Before we see if we're going to have enough left over. A lot of people when they do their bills they figure it all out. And if there's anything left God gets his portion. We've got to give God the portion off the top. For what reason? As we write the checks and we give to our mortgage companies first, you know what we're saying? They're the ones that carry the blessing upon my life. As we pay our credit cards or our car notes off, all important to do, don't get me wrong. But when we pay them first, we're saying, this is what's carrying the blessing. On my life. The last time I checked, my mortgage company has never blessed me. If they're ever giving you any money back, it's not because they're giving you money. It's because you've overpaid. So they're not giving you anything that hasn't already been taken from you in the first place. And normally they're not saying we're going to drop the rate. Normally they're going to say they're going to increase it beginning of the year. Don't you love those letters? Thank you so much for having your health coverage with us last year. You were so awesome. You were so incredible. We're so pleased to have your business. And this is how pleased we are. We want to up your policy by $50 this year. Thank you very much. Man doesn't hold the blessing upon my life. Chase doesn't hold the blessing. My credit cards, nothing holds. I I, I want to make it really clean, clear and plain. You don't hold the blessing of your life. I'm just going to keep this and I'm just going to store it away. 
I know this is a lot to get through today. I know this is a lot to understand. This is the cliff notes. This is like an intensive course on tithing. But look at this. There will never be enough without God's involvement. There will never be enough. There will never be enough. And, And I want to take it one step further. For him to be involved, God doesn't want to be halfway involved. He wants to be totally involved. And the only way he can be totally involved is this. You've got to put him first. You put him second, you take him out of the involvement. Now, I didn't say God won't bless you, but you're going to limit the blessings of God in your life. And I, and I would rather not question it and tre- ch- chance it because he says where the true blessings come from. That when I put him first, so for him to be involved, he has to be first. Don't get upset with me. I can feel some people getting mad at me. Don't get upset or mad with me. I'm just teaching you the truth. You should be thrilled to know that I'm telling you the truth because I'm just reminding you today, with man, it's impossible. You want to keep it and do it your way. You're facing an impossible battle. But when you say, God, you're first and you put him first, everything that's impossible can become possible. That he can take your natural and he can put the super to it. And now it becomes supernatural. That's what I'm talking about. A blessed life. A life that has the hand and favor and the blessing of God upon it. You can choose to either have that or not. It's by putting him first. We're not just talking about financial return. Don't think about it just in finance. God is so much more than finance. When I see mum and dad today, 46 years of marriage, you can't buy that. I said no money can buy that. No money can buy the fact that their two children are serving in the house today. My sister is a pastor in England and I'm a pastor over here. You can't buy that. But I'm telling you what brought that about is their faithfulness to put God first when they even didn't have enough to meet the needs. They still honored God. They still put God first. And now they're living 46 years happier than they've ever been. Why? Because God honors more than just the finance. I'm thankful that when I go to the doctors, I don't even have to read those stupid lists they give you. Have you ever seen that? It's like 12 pages of stuff. I'm glad I don't even have to read it. I just go, no, 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 no. Why? Because we don't have any sicknesses in our homes. We don't have pre-existing complaints in our family. And you can call that all over you want. I'm telling you what it is. It's the blessing of God. Because with man, it's impossible. God makes it possible. Don't limit the blessings that God can give into your hands. Maybe your husband's unsaved. You start tithing and watch and you see salvation come to your hands. You're sick in your body. You start tithing. Why? Because it's a principle that works across. When God is first, he can take care of the rest. Let me say it right. If God is first, he takes care of the rest. He blesses and he does. Many say, well, God is first in my life. And that's good. But tithing is one of the primary ways that we acknowledge that. God is first in your life. Show me your bank statement. And God should be the first one that you give to. God should be the one that is not taken off of the bottom when everything else is gone. That's a non-negotiable. In our home, that's a non-negotiable. That's that's not ours to deal with. That's already God's. And here lies the test. Will we trust Him? With the little that we have that seems so foolish, will we trust Him and give it to Him first so He can bless it? Malachi 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? 
yet you have robbed me. This is God speaking. And to that question or to that statement, the people say, well, how have we robbed you? Or in what way? I mean, what have we done? What have we done to rob you? And Jesus didn't say, oh, you didn't go to church. Jesus didn't say you haven't. You didn't help that lady across the street. Jesus didn't say, oh, you haven't read your Bible much lately. As important as those things are, what does Jesus say? Jesus said, here's how you have robbed me. In your tithes and offering. Tithes is the 10%. Offerings is above and beyond. That's a whole other realm of blessing right there. Don't just shortchange God. Don't just round down. Round up. Amazes me when I see people, what they've given, and they write a check for 37 and 13 cents. I mean, give God 40 bucks. I mean, come on. At least give him 38. How have you robbed me? How have you robbed me? In what way have you robbed me? Here's the thought. Here's the robbing that you're doing. Are you ready? You're robbing God from the ability to give to your life. You are pushing away the hand that wants to bless you. That's what you're doing. You are cutting off God's hand of blessing in your life. Why? And look what it says. And you are cursed with a curse. People don't like to hear that. I don't like to say stuff like that, but the truth is the truth. You're cursing yourself with a curse. You wonder why your cars are breaking down. You wonder why you're not getting any blessings. You have cursed yourself with a curse, for you have robbed me. Notice the first thought that you are robbing yourself, but then the second thought is you've robbed God. He says you're not only robbing yourself, you're robbing me. You're robbing me from the ability, as I said, to bless your life. And it goes one step further. You haven't only just robbed yourself and robbed me, you have robbed your nation. You've robbed your children. You've robbed your home. You've robbed people around you. Jesus says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Not just a portion, 10%. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. I wish I had more time to preach this, but the storehouse is the local church. The storehouse is not a television evangelist, as good as they are. The storehouse is not a radio station. Your storehouse is your church, the local church that you are a part of. God says, you bring your tithe into the church, and then your offerings can go wherever you want. But your tithe needs to be in the house. Why? So there'll be food in my house. Pete read out the people that we support, that we feed, that we help. That's food in God's house. We can't do that if people don't pay their tithes. As a church, I want you to know, we tithe 15% out of everything that we get in the doors here. To missions and to others, every month we tithe 15%. Why? We want to go above and beyond. We want to get into the offering blessing part. And I pray that there's a day real soon we're going to be tithing 20 and 30 and plus percent of what's coming in. I want to see the day when we can stand before the church and say, you know, this year we gave over a million dollars away to people in our community and throughout this world. You may say, well, that's impossible. With man it is, but with With God, all that matters is we put him first. And he makes the impossible possible. He says, but you bring all the tithes into the storehouse, there'll be food in my house. And try me now with this. The only time that God says, put me to the test. And here's the the funny thing about it. God says, test me with your test. So it's a test with a test. If I'm going to put him first, then I've got to trust him. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, who do I put more stake in, me or God? It's God every time. So if I'm testing myself, I'm like, man, 
I'm not going to make it, but I know that God's going to make it because he's never going to fail. So I'm going to test him. I'm going to give to him maybe the little I have, but the tithe, the tenth of what I have, I'm going to give it to God. And again, it's not how much you give as in the great amount. It's just the obedience to give the right amount. If you've only earned $10 this week, praise God, your tithe is one buck and God will honor that just as much as $10,000. Because that's your tithe. That's your tithe. And God says, put me to the test if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. The picture we have is this little window, a little porthole. Now it's floodgates. God says, I'll open the floodgates of heaven and I'll pour you out such a blessing. There will not be room enough to receive it. Wow. With man? (laughs) Impossible. God opens up windows of heaven and pours out such blessings. Such miracles, such peace, such joy, such comfort. Because it's not just finance. He pours out so much of what you need that there will be so much. And there's good stuff. Keep reading on. But as we first give it to him, he has to bless it. And if we don't first give it to him, the blessing will not be unlocked. But the curses will be released. Depending on your willingness to give. I've got to end this message. Point number two. It has to be first given before it's multiplied. It's got to be given. Luke 6 verse 38 says, Given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will it be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Incidentally, that scripture is not in reference to money. A lot of people quote that when they're tithing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the thought is forgiveness, grace, and mercy is what Jesus is talking about. That's what we need to give to other people. But really what he's showing us is a principle of giving. That it's a principle that works in every aspect of our life. So it works in our finances just like it does in our time. Just like it does in our devotion and everything. And so when we see that kind of thing, we see the blessings that come. That when we give God first, God says, I'll give back to you a good measure, press down, Shaken together and running over. Let me ask you a question today. Remember the disciples who were up here and they had the food in their hands? What would have happened if the disciples would have given out the food before it was blessed? Would it have ever multiplied? Come on, help me out. Who thinks it would have multiplied? Come on, put your hand up if you think it would have multiplied before God gave it. Anyone? Anyone? So there shouldn't be any reason why everyone in here tithes. Because you've all admitted the fact that multiplication cannot happen in your hands until you've first given it into His hands. And he can give it back to you and the multiplication. Do you see, just by your own confession, you've confessed the fact that tithing works. I'm just going to hold on to it. Hold on to it and see what happens. Nothing. You're going to be disappointed. Release it and see what happens. God's going to bless. And really, it's not even proper to say that we're giving it. Because we're not giving it, we're returning it. It's just like this illustration I've used before, but if I was to give Richard my watch, and I was to say, there's my watch, and then it was my birthday, and Richard's like, man, I got you a really cool gift, and he like gives me back my watch. I'm like, gee, thanks. He hasn't given me anything, has he? 
Why? Because he's just returned back to me what I've already given to him. That's what you've got to understand. You're not giving God anything. Everything you have is already God's. He's just allowing you the opportunity to give back to him his portion so he can bless the portion that remains inside of your life. And God's a good God. He lets us keep 90%. That's a good God. It's a win-win situation. Number three, we need a new heart. You've got to have a new heart. When it comes to tithing and giving, you've got to allow God to change your heart. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. A lot of people get it wrong. The Bible says what you treasure the most is where your heart is going to fall. In other words, your heart will follow What? Your treasure. If Chase is what you treasure the most by putting them first, your heart's going to be in your home. It's not going to be in the house of God and in the things of God and looking for the blessings of God. If your car is where you, if that's your treasure, if that's what you value, and that's why in relationships we talked about this in our lives, it has to be God first because He has to be our treasure because when He's our treasure, that's where our heart will be. A new heart will mean that our treasure is in the right place. Again, look at your bank statements and you can see what becomes the most important to you. Let me share really quickly with you the four states of our heart. Number one, we can have a selfish heart. In Deuteronomy 15, it gives a passage about helping those and instruction to those around. And we're going to use that as a passage today. Deuteronomy 15.9 says, Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. In other words, selfishness in your heart. We're born that way. How do we know that? The first words out of our mouth many times are, Mine. Give me, it's mine. No. The default of the human heart is a selfish default. That's where we go. That's what we've got to guard our heart against all the time. And God says, I want to deal with that wicked and selfish and self-centered heart. And I want to make you a giver, God says, just like me. The second type of heart is a grieving heart. Verse 10, and you shall surely give to him your heart, and you should not be grieved when you give it to him. You see, selfishness wants to attack us before we give. Grieving wants to attack us and rob us after we've given. Have you ever had giving remorse? You've given something, you're like, oh man, that was a lot. I could have got a flat screen TV with that. Wow, I mean, come on, that was too much. They didn't even deserve it. They didn't even like it anyway. You know how we can combat that? A grieving heart by the proper perspective, yeah. by having the proper perspective. Is there anyone here right now that would just, like, just feel led just to give me 50 bucks? Anyone right now just feel led to give me 50 bucks? Is there anyone who's got 50 bucks they want to give to me right now? You've got 50? Rich, thank you, mate. Come on, come on, look at that. 50 bucks. It's 50, huh? $50. Wow, that was cool. You know why that was easy for Rich to give that to me? Because I gave it to him before church. It's easy to give something that you regard as not your own, huh? And that's where we've got to get. We've got to realize through proper perspective, it's not my money anyway. And the problem happens when I take ownership over something that I'm required to be a steward over. Steward means this. I manage that which is not my own. I handle that which is God's. See how easy it was for him to give. Maybe it was hard because he was thinking, man, I'd like that. 
But it's easy to give something that's not yours. God wants to bless your life. God wants to give you blessings of your life. Have a great day, Rich. I love you, man. God wants to pour into your life. So as you give it, God can give it back to you and you can multiply that. And it feels good to give. Third type of heart is a generous heart. Oh, I want a generous heart. It says, you shall supply to him liberally from your flock, from the flesh and floor, from your wine press. For what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. We were born selfish, but we were born again generous. God wants to put a new heart and the joy that comes through giving. But there's another type of heart. Don't just stop at a, great, uh, a generous heart. There's a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Read what it says in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you. In other words, you were in bondage and God paid that tithe. He paid that price. I love it when John looked at Jesus and he said these words, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Remember that? You know what that meant? And you know what that means? Jesus was God's tithe for you and for I because we were unclean. Remember the clean and unclean. Nothing we could do would make us clean. But he became the spotless lamb. He took my place. He became the sacrifice that I can be free, that my life can be redeemed. And now I have a heart full of gratitude because when I think of what I deserve and what I have, I have so much more because God blesses me despite what I feel so many times I deserve. And now I have a grateful heart. God wants to remind us of our past so we can have gratefulness to our future and what God has almost done. Number four. So what do we see? We've seen that he's got to first bless it. It's got to be first given before it can be multiplied. There needs to be a change of heart. And the fourth thing is this. There will be more than enough left over. Can I hear an amen in the house? And not as a waste, but as a seed to sow. Because if we don't watch, look at this. It can be our need or greed that can determine what we do. But we've got to realize today, I can't be governed by need or greed. I'm holding a seed. I'm holding a seed. And if there is no seed in the ground, there will never be a harvest. You are sowing a seed. I wonder today how many people under the sound of my voice are eating the seed that belongs in the hand of God. You're eating your lunch, so to speak. You're eating your future and your blessings. Because that makes sense. Well, there's enough just for me right now. Why give it if I don't have enough to start with? Doesn't make sense. Tithing doesn't make sense. It's not mathematical sense, but it's his word that will make sense every time. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8. If you think we're just coming from the Old Testament, let me give you some new. Jesus says, but this is what I say. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. From what, a selfish heart, a grieving heart, or a generous and grateful heart? Because that's what he's saying. The attitude of your heart determines how you're going to give. If you've got a generous heart and a grateful heart, every time the offering bucket comes by, and even when it's not passed on Wednesday, you're going to be making sure and paying your tithes. Why? Because I'm giving it out of a heart of gratitude and gratefulness to God. It goes on to say, not grudgingly, or out of necessity or compulsion, for God loves a 
cheerful giver. Read on. And God is able. How? When we put him first. If we put him first, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you will always having all sufficiency in all things. I love that. You'll have everything you need in every place that you need. And may you have abundance for every good work. My God, what a promise. What a promise. And it's not a promise to motivate me because I don't give. Kelly and I don't give to get. I'm going to give because I need something from God. So I'm going to give him a little bit more. We don't give to get. In fact, if God never gave us anything else, we could never look at him and say, you never gave us enough. Because he's already given us more than we ever need. We don't give to get. We give because we love. We give out a heart of gratitude and gratefulness. It's a privilege for us. I love the fact that we just did a wedding the other week and we did other things and people would just slip me some money. We don't ask for that. And my joy and excitement is not how much I get. My joy and excitement is what I get to give. Because I love it. I'm like, wow, that's more I can give to God. Kelly would tell you that's my heart. I'm like, text it in right now. We've got text giving. We can text it right now. Because that's the heart that I have. One other scripture, Luke nine seventeen. So they all ate, and they were filled. And 12 baskets was left over of fragments that was taken up by them. Who are we talking about today? Your life. We've used the example of the disciples. But you can leave today with your hands full. And when I'm saying that, I don't mean there's going to be plenty of cash in the bank. It doesn't always work like that. But you can leave with a greater fullness knowing this, that God's blessing is upon your life. That you've removed the curse. That you are living a blessed life. That's why we tithe. In your marriage, you need to tithe. If you're single, you need to tithe because you set the precedence for when you are married because there is nothing else in this world that guarantees the return like when we give God first. So your testimony today should never be this. I cannot afford to give. Your testimony should be today, I cannot afford not to give to God. Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.